0: Okay. today's scripture reading is revelations 21 one through four on page 848 in these Bibles okay then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea I saw the holy city the New Jerusalem coming down of out of heaven from The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Thank you, Angela. (sighs) Wonderful. Today we are wrapping up our sermon series on what we believe. We've been going through our articles of faith, uh, each article by article, learning about who God is, the Bible. Who Jesus is, the Holy Spirit, what is ch- the church, salvation, and we're heading towards our end right now. We're wrapping up tonight. Uh, we're talking about heaven. Now last week we talked about hell, uh, a pretty serious topic, and if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. And If you missed any of them, I encourage you to just go back and work through our articles of faith and uh, think about and, and begin to learn what we believe as a church uh, at Cornerstone. Let me say a prayer and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Son. Thank you so much for eternity, for heaven, uh, that we get to end on this note. Uh, because this note, this ending note, uh, is the beginning of a whole new song. Uh, a song that we're all going to uh, experience and hear uh, as we put our faith in Christ Jesus and walk with Him into eternity. I, I pray. That you would bless this message in His name, Amen. Well, let's talk a little bit about heaven, about eternity. Now, when you think of heaven, uh, maybe images pop into your mind of uh, a boring or weird place where we sit all sit around all day and we sing songs, and maybe you learn to play the harp, and uh, it goes on for an eternity. So everyone wants to be there, right? Well, our images, our understanding of what heaven is like often comes from culture. So it comes from film, it comes from television, it comes from uh, just people telling us what heaven is like without ever actually looking at the scriptures. So I wanted to show you a few of these uh, kind of popular, funny images of heaven. Maybe some of you have ever have seen this movie, the nineteen sixty nine movie called "The Littlest Angel." Has anyone in here seen this besides me? Okay, so a handful of you. It's about an eight year old shepherd boy who lives during biblical times who dies uh, and he goes to heaven. And he discovers that heaven's like really, really boring and really, really serious. And you can kind of see the serious level of that place on those guys' faces on the left poster there. They are serious about heaven. You spend your time flying around and and playing instruments and singing. Uh, And it's kind of a, a long, boring place. I don't think that's correct. I don't think that's right. Now, I watched a newscast, I don't know when it was, maybe a couple of years ago, uh, where uh, the newscast uh, anchor was interviewing someone, someone who had recently lost a child, and the newscaster said, isn't it comforting knowing that your child is in heaven and is an angel and has wings? And I was just like, what What qualifies you just because you tell us the news, like, How can you make a statement? That's a huge, huge statement. And it's not what we see in the Bible. You don't magically become an angel and get wings when you die. More recently, and this is on TV right now, it's called The Good Place. It's a television show. It stars Kristen Bell. Uh, She does the voice of the younger sister in Frozen. I don't know what her name is. Uh, But she dies and she goes to the good place, she goes to heaven. Uh, but she discovers she's not actually supposed to be there. She, see, uh, she's there by mistake. Heaven is reserved for not just like people that did better than average. It's reserved for like the top five percent of good people. So you got to do really, really, really well to get into heaven. And she is not a good person. She should not be there. Maybe that's your belief. You think, ah, if I can just have my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, that will like tip uh, kind of a spiritual scale, and I will then be able to walk into heaven uh, and spend the rest of eternity there. That's not what the Bible teaches. Last week, we looked at what the Bible teaches, and we have this outlined in our article of faith, which explains what happens when we die. We believe in the personal and undeniable return of the Lord Jesus Christ to earth and the fulfillment of his kingdom. We believe in the resurrection of the body, the final judgment, the eternal punishment of the wicked, and the eternal peace and joy of the righteous. So what did we learn last week? Well, we learned that if you don't have a saving relationship with Christ Jesus, you go to a place of judgment, of God's judgment, hell. We don't want anyone to go there. That's not something that I want. It's not actually something that God desires himself. But if you reject Christ, that's where you end up. But this week, we're focusing on those that do trust Christ, those that uh, are repenting of their sins, just like Terry said, and, and putting their faith and trust in Christ Jesus. They go to heaven Now, I want to pick up where we ended last week. So we talked about the final judgment where people are separated, the sheep and the goats, to heaven and to hell. And I want us to begin with heaven. See, Christians will inhabit the new heaven and the new earth with God. And a Christian is a true follower of Christ, right? Now, this week, as I was preparing, I read uh, a couple books. I read uh, Heaven, Biblical Answers to Common Questions by Randy Alcorn. Now, this is like a condensed version of his longer one. If you want to learn about heaven, that's a great book to pick up. Uh, another book that I read uh, is Eternity Changes Everything by Stephen Whitmer. Stephen is a pastor in Pepperell, uh, and he was actually one of my professors uh, in seminary. And he wrote this great little book on heaven. And I'm going to use some of his kind of outlines and resources, his research, as we go through this message. And as he talks about Revelation 21, he breaks kind of down uh, the the new heavens and the new earth into three categories that I've reshifted and reshaped into three R's. Now, our current earth, where we are right now, what we're living and and breathing in, not a different planet. (laughs) will be transformed. It will be changed into the new heaven and the new earth through three R's, through a removal, a restoration, and a return. So first, let's talk about the removal. Now, today's passage, Revelation 21, 1 through 4, it's all about the new heaven and the new earth. But to understand it right, you have to look at the context that takes place right before it. In verse 11, we see the judgment of the dead Then I saw the great white throne and him who was seated on it, and the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. So where does the great white throne judgment, that final judgment, take place? That's actually kind of a trick question, because it takes place nowhere. It takes place out out of space, out of time. The heaven and earth, they flee away. It's like this limbo that we step into, this elsewhere, this other space. And that's where God does the judgment. And that's where God uh, con- condemns Hades. That's where God condemns death and anyone that doesn't trust in Jesus. He, re- he sends them to hell. And that's actually the last we hear of hell, the lake of fire. It's, 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 it's sent there. And then we who trust in Christ, enter into the new space, which is actually the old space, the new heaven and the new earth. They come back, and that's where our passage begins, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. They're coming back, and we're going to them. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So what do we see? We see a removal. We see a removal of hell itself. It is not in the new creation. We will not be enjoying heaven and earth together in this beautiful place for the next million years watching hell. That's not what's going to take place. That's going to be gone. That's going to be removed. Notice it also talks about death being gone. This means you will no longer be separated from Jesus or your family in Jesus again. It talks about the sea being removed. And I know some of you, like you're like, oh, no. I like the Cape, right? I like going to see... Uh, you know the the waves, I like the beach. I like going snorkeling. Is that what this means there won 't be any large bodies of water anymore no <laughs> that 's not what this means. The sea was a symbol of chaos of death. earlier in revelation, the beast comes out of the sea it 's a place of judgment of the unknown. John is the author of this book john is is describing. That separation will be gone. Death will be gone. It will be removed. And then I love that it gets even more personal. Uh, he says, there's not going to be any more tears in heaven. <laughs> That's beautiful. Does that mean that like, we won't be able to express our emotions fully? <laughs> like you won't be able to laugh so hard until you cry? Like that won't be a thing? No. It means there'll, there'll be no more mourning. There will be no more Sadness no more unhappiness, no more anxiety, no more depression. Those things will be removed, plucked out. We'll have joy, real joy, real, real joy. Monica and I live in Chelmsford. It's the next town over. And for about the last two years, uh, I've driven past an abandoned piece of property. So it's like half a mile from my house. And I have to drive by it to come to church or pretty much go anywhere. And there's, uh, there, there, there was a, a garage uh, that was like made of cinder blocks and there was a, 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 a little um, trailer and a shed and it was a nice piece of property, two or three acres and they were just abandoned. Someone, the owner, I don't know why, he just kind of walked away from them. And about two or three weeks ago, a backhoe showed up like, magically appeared (laughs) and began to tear down the trailer, tear down the garage, tear down the shed, and clear the debris away. And I wanted to cheer partly because, like, I'm a privileged suburbanite, and I want to get rid of, like, all the gross buildings, right? But also because this new piece of property, it it, it feels new, (laughs) The old has been removed. The devastation, the destruction has been taken away. Now, every time I drive by it, I'm like, wow, what a great piece of property. (laughs) Jesus is going to take a backhoe to this world. He's going to tear down every sinful thing, every sinful institution, every institution of injustice, Every symbol of death, of sin, he is going to tear them down. Every cemetery, he's going to take a backhoe to it. To every meth lab, to every greedy corporation, to every man-made wall, every abortion clinic, every monument of racism, every mental illness, every funeral, every terrorist cell, he's going to take a backhoe to it. He's going to remove it. What, what, what monument of the old in your life do you, that do you need removed? What in your heart that came to mind as we were going through communion that just weighs on you, do you need removed? Right now, we focus on Christ, right? And that, that helps, we begin to taste that removal. But one day will come When those things that we keep locked away on the inside and don't want anyone to know about, those things that we wish we could take back, they will be removed completely. In the new heavens and the new earth, there's going to be a removal. There's also going to be a renovation. Everyone likes a good renovation, right? I'm excited about this property. I wonder what they're going to build there. It's going to be beautiful, Maybe we'll make friends with the new neighbors. I don't know. We actually see this in Scripture. There is a renovation of creation in the Bible. Romans talks about uh, that right here. It says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Of God. Did you hear? Do you see the most important word in this paragraph? It's liberation. Creation is going to be liberated from sin. See, sin isn't just something that happens in like kind of a, a, a geopolitical or social way, it's something that happens in my heart, but then it's also something that has saturated and broken down all of creation. The birds, the sky, the, the, the clouds, the mountains, the trees, they're all affected by the fall, and they're all going to be redeemed. They're all going to be perfect. There's a, a mountain pine beetle infestation in Colorado right now. I want to show you a picture of this kind of beetle kill forest in Colorado. One in 14 trees are dead in the Colorado forest because of pine beetles. They've killed trees on 3.4 million acres. Across millions and millions of acres. Now there is a lot of downsides to beetle kill. <laughs> Those can light up really fast and have a wildfire. It's also less trees to just filter the air, so more pollution. But even this can be used for beauty. See, Beetle Kill makes beautiful furniture. (laughs) It makes really lovely rocking chairs and tables and cabinets and beds. God is going to take all the death we see around us, all the pain, all the hurt, even in our own individual lives, and he is going to revamp it. He is going to renovate it into something that's eternal, something that is eternally beautiful. And guess what? This doesn't just apply to out there. This doesn't just apply to the trees. This applies to the people. This applies to you and to me. And that's what the resurrection is, The resurrection. Philippians talks about the resurrection where we one day will come back from the grave, come back from the dead. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Do you hear that? You and me, if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we're going to come back from the dead. And we're going to get these new, like wonderful, restored, renovated bodies. It'll still be you. People will still recognize you. They will still know who you are. But imagine like you'll never get sore again. Like you can do as much CrossFit as you want. You'll never feel like you've overeaten and feel like you have to throw up. You'll never feel like you've undereaten and feel unnourished. See, you will be perfectly satisfied. Your your body will experience perfection, a life without sin. How do we know this? Because your body will be like Jesus' body. And we see a picture of Jesus' body in the Gospels, after he's been resurrected from the grave. And his body is amazing. (laughs) He can walk through walls. He does miracles. And sometimes you can recognize him, but he's so glorious and he's so different that he's like hard to recognize, even to his disciples. And that's Jesus. Like he's not suffering, he didn't suffer from sin in his life. He wasn't a sinful being. He ascended. We're gonna have glorious bodies just like him. In seminary, I took a class on Revelation. Uh, Professor Sean McDonough was my, my teacher. In one of the classes, as we were nearing the end of the book of Revelation, someone asked him, well, what will happen in heaven to like, people that lost limbs in this life or were born with deformities or just aren't right in that way? And maybe some of you are asking, well, what will happen to like, my special needs child Will they be that way forever in the new heaven and the new earth? My professor shared how he used to volunteer with kids with deformities and disabilities. And one little boy had no legs. Like My, my professor described it as a flipper. He had no legs. He was in a, a wheelchair. And he was, uh, the professor was volunteering with another man who the kids called Uncle, and I've changed his name to Jerry. And Uncle Jerry was telling the kids about the new heaven and the new earth and that heaven's streets will be made of gold. And the little boy asked, will I have new legs there? And Uncle Jerry said, yes, you'll have new legs. And the little boy asked, Uncle Jerry, when I get to heaven, will you run down heaven's streets with me? See, there's going to be a restoration. There's going to be a renovation. I don't know about you, but I want to run down heaven's streets with that little boy for the first time with his new legs. I want to experience that with all of you. Do you want to run? Do you want to run with the little boy? The new heavens and the new earth are removal and a renovation, and finally, their return. Remember back to the Garden of Eden before the fall? It was like a perfect place full of life and vitality. Well, we see this in the, in the garden. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. Then what happened? Adam and Eve, they sinned, they disobeyed God. They said, we're going to do it our way instead of your way, God. And God then brought a curse upon them. There was judgment. There was a fall. We entered into sin. And Adam and Eve, they were cast out of the garden. They were no longer able to access the tree of life. That meant they could, never have, they could not have eternal life anymore. And what do we see in the new heaven and new earth? We see a restoration of Eden. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The garden is back. The curse is banished. Paradise was lost. Now paradise is found. We're going we're to walk through this new heaven and this new earth. We're going to walk through it curse-free. <laughs> we're going to see renovations <laughs> that we've never seen before. We're going to see uh, flowers that we've never experienced. We will see golden daffodils and violet irises. And brand new flowers made of brand new colors. Maybe that's hard for you to imagine. I've seen like every single color there is to see. Well, actually, scientists recently just discovered a brand new color, a brand new shade of blue. It's called Yemen blue. Now, some of you think, ah, this just looks like cobalt blue. This isn't new. (laughs) They, they, they found it by mixing chemicals together and these, mix, these chemicals mixed in such a way that they, they sucked in all the, the red and the green rays and only emit blue. So it is true blue. We've never had that before. We're gonna, we're gonna discover things in new colors that we have never seen before. This is the new heaven and the new earth. Don't you wanna be there? See, God is refurbishing this world in Revelation chapter 21, into a brand new world. And as we walk through this life, there's an application here for you and for me. We can live in such a way as to remember our future. See, there's a reason we don't intentionally pollute. We don't intentionally trash. We don't say, well, this this earth is going to be burned up and God's just going to make a new one, so it's okay to do whatever we want. No, we care for this creation because as we do that, we join in God's future restoration project. That's why we walk thoughtfully. That's why we care for that around us. We don't just burn it up. Jesus isn't going to do that. Why should we? Now, eternity sounds pretty wonderful, doesn't it? Brand new heaven, new earth, or together God's space has entered into human space. But as we describe this place, is it perfect yet? Maybe some of you have watched the movie Home Alone. What ruined the McAllister family vacation to Paris? <laughs> See, there's a whole family in this. They go to Paris, and they have an awful time because, what? They left Kevin McAllister, their son, behind. And if you think about heaven as just all the wonderful things we'll get to do and experience, then you've left the most important person behind, the one that makes heaven, heaven. That's God. See, the best part of eternity is God's presence, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out, out, from, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. The word dwelling place means tabernacle as we went through the tabernacle in our Exodus series, you learned that there is like a holy place and there's a most holy place. And it's at the back of the tabernacle. And that's where God's presence resides above the ark. And only the high priest on one day a year could enter into that place. People couldn't go there. Now the shape of that most holy place was actually a cube. It was about 15 feet high, 15 feet wide, 15 feet deep. And as we look further in the Israelite history, we also see the, tem- the, the tabernacle being replaced by a temple. Says, the inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20, cubits, 20 wide, and 20 high. He overlaid the inside with pure gold and also overlaid the altar of cedars. This is describing the most holy place in the temple. What is it? It's a cube. And as we look at Jerusalem, as we look at the new Jerusalem, the city of God that, that, that is going to be in the new heavens and the new earth, what do we see? This city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. So the, the most holy place within the tabernacle and the temple has become the most holy city, the cubed city in Revelation. Now, does this mean we're going to have like a massive city just kind of like sitting on, on earth that's, that's like as wide as it is tall? I don't really think so. I think it's symbolic imagery that God's presence that once was limited to that most holy place, will be huge, and God will dwell with his people. God's going to dwell with us, with you, with me. We're going to be unhindered by sin in this most holy place. Now, Stephen Whitmer, as he was writing his book, he talked about how he loved to go on trips to his grandparents' house. And not just for the fun of everything they got to do at his grandparents' house, but for seeing his grandparents themselves. And we all have stories like this, right? Like I love playing on Pole Hill outside of Estes Park, Colorado. That's where I grew up. And Pole Hill there's this Bible school. There's this chalet that you can run around. So there's lots of different rooms, lots of different locations, a game room, a gym, a rope swing. So it's like every young boy's just like fantasy place to grow up, to hang out. But the reason I loved going to Pole Hill was not for all those things. It was for my friend Joseph and getting to spend time in relationship with him and his family. The reason we want to spend time in eternity is because we're going to be in relationship with God and with Jesus Christ. With the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit forever and ever and ever. We're going to be with them. The word with matters. But not only will we be with God, we'll also be with each other. With those that have put their faith and trust in Christ Jesus, you'll share eternity with your whole church family. Now, in our passage, the, the New Jerusalem, this city of God, is, is symbolic of the most holy place. It's symbolic of God's presence. But our passage also calls it the Bride of Christ. It comes down as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. See, there's a mixing of metaphors here. This city stands for, on one hand, God's presence, but then the bride of Christ in the the New Testament is also the church. It's the people of God. See, the church (laughs) and God, they're just going to be so closely knit together that there's a mixing of metaphors here. If you believe in Christ Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you won't be married to like your husband or wife from this life in eternity you will be married to Jesus he will be your groom along with everyone else that trusts Christ Jesus and that that way of describing it is is a way of describing the the commitment and the intimacy and the love we will experience for all eternity with Jesus and we see this extends to everyone that's ever put their faith and trust in Jesus. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the lamb. Do you ever feel like you don't have enough time to to spend with the people that you love in this life? Maybe after church, you're like, oh, man, I wish fellowship time was like three hours so I could spend all that time with the the people that I love and care about here. Or small group, you wish it could last longer. Well, in eternity, (laughs) we're going to have millions of years, billions of years to spend getting to know each other and then every single believer that has ever lived from every time and every place. You will have eternity to become best friends with everyone that trusts Jesus. Think about that for a moment. That means in a million years from now, I bet you will be best friends with like a Christian who lived in the third century. <laughs> in the Middle East. Or maybe you'll, you'll find a close fellowship with a believer from Mongolia or Africa. I love this quote from Randy Alcorn as he described the relationships that we'll have in heaven. And the new heaven and the new earth. From there we will work outward, developing new friendships without ever losing the old ones. Heaven is where our ultimate family and best friends will be, including many we don't know yet. In fact, you may not have met your best, the best friend you'll ever have. I love that. You might not even have met your best friend yet. Maybe some of you are thinking, oh, my spouse is my best friend, like my husband, my wife what I tell Monica is that like we have a head start on eternity <laughs> of having the best friendship we can now. We're just going to take that friendship into forever. No one will be able to take that relationship away from you, that having been married, that having formed those bonds of love. But you won't be married, but it'll be even better than that. I want to close with my final invitation to come and to share eternity with God and with your whole church family. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there is is something that you need to do tonight. You need to repent of your sins and put your faith in Christ because that opens up a brand new eternity. An eternity spent in a place that we can't even begin to understand, but we can can look out and we can begin to imagine. As we look outside. Last week I closed by asking a pretty tough question. Does hell break your heart? Well this week I want to close by asking does heaven fill your heart? Does heaven, like that future hope, fill your heart with joy and with happiness? Knowing this place that we're going. With excitement. God wants to fill our hearts so that we can walk through this life. Enduring through hardships because we know we're not going to be stuck in these things forever. By treating uh, creation around us with care because we know that we're part of that that greater restoration process. God also wants us to share this future homeland with others. The reason we share Jesus with others is not just so that they can escape the judgment of hell, that's half the picture. We also want them to share in the eternity of a beautiful new home with us. I don't know about you, but I want my friends, I want my neighbors, I want my coworkers to share in eternity with me. Next Saturday is Bring a Friend Day at Cornerstone. Let's all invite a friend, not because we are scared out of our mind for them, <laughs> but we can imagine a greater future for them. A future with Jesus and a future with us that is beyond belief, that is wonderful and unimaginable. Come share eternity with God and with your whole church family. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for having Christ Jesus prepare a new heaven and earth for us, a home where we can spend eternity with you, God, and with each other. I am so excited to, to enter into eternity with these people and form relationships and friendships that this life can't even begin to scratch at. I pray that you would give us all a greater vision of eternity. I also lift up the offering before you. Help us use this offering wisely to, to point toward that, to that future home. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.